0: Tonight there's more chaos on the labour front as uh, 10,000 members of the Teachers and Education Workers Union, (TEU) lay down their tools effective tomorrow. Expect locked lecture halls, no issuance of certificates and general breakdown in sanitation and maintenance on campuses nationwide. That's according to the national president of TEU, Suleiman Abdurrahman, after he declared an indefinite strike over what the union describes as lackadaisical attitude in addressing concerns of workers. The union cites the failure of the government to pay tier two pension allowance to fund managers, extra duty allowance and car maintenance allowance for junior staff, among others, for their industrial action. Now, speaking at a press conference today, uh, Mr. Rahman said government should expect the terms of agreement they entered into and address the grievances immediately.
1: The simple picture is that, as I said, lecturers will not have access to lecture halls. The place will be very messy because um, you can imagine this weather, the dust. I can imagine the washrooms if it is not clean for a day. So, and this are the critical work our members are doing. You understand? So that is why we are saying that we expect every member in the public university to respect this decision. If you are receiving these allowances and your colleague is, is not receiving, don't say that because you are receiving, your colleague is not receiving, you are happy tomorrow it might be your turn so respect the leadership decision and go along with the majority that's what we're requesting everybody to do this is not a threat this is just a request right it's a simple and harmless request uh-huh. because as i said at the end of the day what are we looking for better conditions for our members and these conditions that we are even requesting for it is something that has been put in place which we have been enjoying it isn't that we are asking for any new thing anywhere so the how do you call it government team might be looking at the issues as if we are requesting for something. New. You know. No, we are only requesting that government should respect the status quo and allow it to allow sleeping dogs to lie. Let me put it that way because mm. at the end of the day, if they did not do what they are doing, what is happening today wouldn't have happened. So, for how long has your tail Ghana endured uh, this situation where you are not given what is due you, for instance, the extra uh, duty allowance uh, and so on and so forth? Yes, these issues came to attention that was last year, and you remember in the all the labor unions were on strike at the time. That is UTAC, Gawa, Teogana, and then SSA UOG. So uh, in the course of deliberations at the Labor Commission, NLC, NLC directed that government should pay the, maintenance, the vehicle maintenance allowance and the off-campus. That was a key issue. But we tabled issues concerning our members, like this is what you have just asked. And NLC told us that, okay, they are asking us to call off the strike, but early 2023, we can put in a request to make sure that all those issues should be addressed.
0: Well, he's expecting that the impact of their stride
1: will begin to be felt tomorrow. I can assure you that there are over 10,000 members in the public universities. I call the whole Ghana. So, from tomorrow... The whole country will know that whether we are on strike or we are not on strike. Because we were so at the workplaces, that is why people were not seeing the seriousness. You know, GAWA and SAC has already declared a strike and they are on strike. But because we were at the workplaces, the impact wasn't there. Government was not feeling the heat. But I believe from tomorrow going, government will feel the heat and they will do the needful. Even though we do not wish to embark on a strike, but as I said, when you have been pushed to the wall, And the only option that you have is to respect the voice of the members by putting down your tools, which we have done. That is it. So how then do you ensure compliance of your members, especially when you say this is nationwide? It's compulsory for all members to join the industrial action. Yes, we are going to make sure that we have tax force across all the university campuses. We have local leaders across all the public universities. So they will make sure that they put in place the tax force to make sure that they monitor for everybody to comply with the strike action. And of course, we have also taken into consideration that if you look at the public universities, those who are keeping the place safe is the security. So we have the view that the strike is in stages. For now, we are asking the security to remain at post.
0: Let's bring in the Executive Secretary of the NLC, of Osama, joins us right now. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, you have the National Labour Commission. What do you make of the strike call today by Tewu?
2: I really don't think the strike is needful. Because um, they were at the Labor Commission. They brought their petition. They themselves were there with their leadership. They agreed that in terms of their allowances, the opening statement of the... Mr. Adongo, no, no, no. of Senior Staff Association said that the issue of the allowances have been resolved. What was left was the tier two, which are not government going to pay to their fund managers. And that one was Hello Mr. Sama. Hello? Hello, yes, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yes, and the issue of the penalty for the government's default was to be a subject of negotiation and a meeting between them and the Ministry of Finance, for which they fixed 1st February, that is tomorrow, to meet. So the commission again proceeded to the 8th, so that after their meeting and negotiation, they were to report to the commission. With the understanding that Because they had agreed and fixed the deal for negotiation, there wasn't going to be any strike. That is a senior staff association until they appeared before the commission. That was understanding. Now, in the case of Gawa, they were also at the commission. They had also agreed to negotiate with JTEC, the allowances, which today they were there. And they have confirmed that there will be restoration. And even their own vice president who was at the commission, his ideas had been paid, except that he wasn't aware today he got to know. So I really wonder at this time the need for the strike and even let alone the intensity for which they want to go well over 10,000 workers. The allowances have been paid. The remainder that that was not been paid on those scenarios, there has been a letter today that effect. and as I talked to you, from today's evidence before the commission with their leadership confirmed, have been paid and will be released. Well but what about the tier two pensions? The tier two pensions, that is what I said, that they were there at the tradition. Government really admitted that yes, there was a default in payment to their um farm managers. But at the moment some funds have been released, not all do. Then the issue of the failure to pay the penalty of three percent interest. According to the government side, they had negotiated with organized labor to waive a portion of the percentage. But representatives of the union, um, you know, the senior staffs, they said they weren't aware or they were not part. So the question was whether organized labor at the time of negotiation had demanded or did it on their behalf, for which they said they are not aware. So a meeting was agreed initially the government side to be led by the Minister, Deputy Minister of Finance, Abnor Sefari, proposed on the 8th of February for the meeting. This was objected to by the unions that it was too far. So, since he was in a telephone conversation on speaker, for which all the parties listening to and uh, I mean participated in front of the commission, they fixed on the 1st, which is tomorrow for the meeting which the minister agreed to be present and attend. So that by the eighth they will report to the Commission with the understanding that having brought the day forward, agreed to negotiate, they will not embark on any industrial scene because the law does not permit that for one to strike or use any form of intimidation during negotiation. And this was agreement before the Commission. So this strike is illegal? It's very illegal. They know it they know it if I immediately refer to your interviews that were conducted immediately after the meeting you see but what they said for which I disagree with and I pointed it out several times you see leadership or leaders leader leaders must provide leadership when the directive has been issued by a commission they go out and say we are going to consult with neck we are going to consult with members You have appeared before a commission, which is established by law, whose directive has the equal effect of that of a court, a high court. So if you disagree, you go to the court of appeal and appeal. Or if you think it was wrongful or not within the law, you might apply to the high court to set it aside. Or else you have to obey it. But that is what they do. We are going to consult with our members. Our members, you should go outside. You leadership, you have appeared before a commission directive, and you are going to confer with your members whether to respect the directive of the Labour Commission or not. That is why in the past, we were resorting to court to go and enforce it. And the same people say the commission is always in court, uh, ex-party, injunction, restraining... Will it they resort to court? To, a will they resort to the court so in when this you case? are blatantly, I mean, just disrespecting the directive of the Commission. Mr. Then Sama, will, will you Mr. Sama, will you resort
0: to will the High you resort court. will you resort to the court in this case?
2: Well the Commission has not directed, but it's a possible authority. thankfully At the moment the Commission has not directed. Because this is Britain. You are there. A directive has been given. Yeah, stay with me
0: please. Let me bring in the national president of uh, Teo, Suleimana Abdul Rahman. Uh, Mr Rahman, thanks for your time here on news So a meeting had been called for tomorrow. I knew this before Today, when you call the strike, why?
2: What
0: did you say? A I, I'm. I'm bringing in Abdurrahman. He's the national oh, okay, president. Okay. National president yeah. of Teu. Hello, Mr. Rahman. Hello, Mr. Rahman. I may have lost him there. Uh, but as it stands yeah. now, they are on strike. You say, and yes. um, they, they, it's a possibility that you will go to court to get them, uh, to get a court to pronounce on this. Uh, and is a possibility. Is a possibility.
2: The commission has not directed that uh, as executive secretary take action. So, this, but I'm sure if it continues was the strike, itself, it's also lawful. They do it.
0: This engagement, mm-hmm. this engagement but, tomorrow, this engagement yeah, tomorrow, though. We hope they come out with something positive. This engagement tomorrow, though, isn't it coming too late in the day? And that's the that's the main problem for the workers. It is not coming. That, too late that the that the NLC NLC knew all along that these challenges were there the tier two pensions have not been paid to fund managers and not enough action was taking to compel the government to do the right thing
2: no no no. it is not for the nlc to be blamed for any the parties came before the commission and they themselves agreed that two issues one has been resolved it is left with one now we are going to meet to see if we can resolve it on the first and report back to the commission on the eighth and then the Commission grants you your request. Then you go and declare strike. You see, the Commission, what did we do? Uh, an action too late? What it's action? My By allowing them to go and settle uh, or up. negotiate. I'm the Commission me. cannot be blamed for anything. The Commission oh. cannot be blamed for anything. We hmm. can at best be congratulated and encouraged to do when it comes to allowing parties to settle their differences amicably for so which the results are acceptable easily acceptable to both parties rather than imposing um, the commission decision and directives on them that's
3: what
0: we just did yes I'm, thank you very much and that's uh, the executive secretary with the national labor commission there i want to bring in labor analyst austin game who joins us on the line right now mr game thanks for your time here on Newsnight. you're observing what is unfolding on the labor front the first month of the new year and you're predicting that there could be more this year.
4: Why? Well, as you can even observe from, from what uh, the executive secretary saying, even when uh, the flowery statements he made about the matter had been resolved and the rest arrangements had been made to be resolved, and yet they are still on strike, and others are threatening to also go on strike. Uh, organized labor has laid uh, some uh, fatwa on the head of government that they will do something so clearly uh, what else could could, could be uh, said than to say that there's more i wish we don't have it at all because we need peace industrial peace to enable the government to function well
0: the government needs to be proactive based on what you're saying what more can they really do considering that we have clear financial constraints. It's all boils down to ability to pay.
4: The matter is not so much sometimes about money. It's about the way you engage. In industrial relations, we don't wait for a matter to confront you. You have to confront the matter. You have to be very frontal and, 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 and move ahead with a light of speed. You know, speed of light, if you like to go and meet the parties who you know are aggrieved. It's not like they don't know. The employer is aware that people have got concerns. They know when you have an arrears which is standing for six months, ten months, one year, the way to go is to engage the people and explain to them what you can afford to do, have a payment plan, and begin it. And and that's how it should be done. But like if you think that you have to wait till they come to confront you, union don't you don't have to wait for union to come and meet you. You have to front them with it. That's how I say. Okay. Mr. Uh, Ms. Osengami, thank you very much. And
0: thankfully, uh, we can now hear uh, from the uh Tewu president who's now joining us is the national president Suleimana Abdul Rahman. Uh, Mr. Abdul Rahman, thanks for your time. You're welcome, and thank you so much for having me. So, we just spoke to the National Labor Commission Executive Secretary, and it's clear that this meeting that has been called for tomorrow, you knew about it before today's declaration of a strike. Why? Why did you have to call a strike when a meeting has been called to resolve the same issues you've called the strike over?
5: Thank you, Ivan, for the opportunity. And for me to be emphatic, we have not been invited to the Labor Commission as far as tertiary education workers in North Ghana is concerned. Um, We wrote to the National Labor Commission and copied the government agencies, giving government an ultimatum from 22nd of January 2024 that if we did not hear anything from government uh, in respect of the issues that were tabled in the press release, we're going to uh, declare an indefinite strike on 1st, Uh, february 2024 and as we speak we have not received any invitation from government so if uh, the executive secretary is saying that we were invited and we know what is happening at the labor commission then i beg to differ probably he is referring to situation.
0: Uh, but, but there's a meeting tomorrow, is it not? A meeting tomorrow to resolve these issues surrounding the, the tier we, two pensions?
5: We, we have not been invited to be part of the meeting that is supposed to come off tomorrow. We are not even aware that there's a meeting coming off tomorrow. So I am hearing this, uh, I mean for the first time from uh, his, 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 his
0: side. In the meantime, he says your strike is illegal. It's a possibility that they may go to court to compel the court to together call to compel you to return to work that's something that you're aware of is it not you're aware that your decision today frowns on the law it's illegal hello we lost him there uh, apologies uh, for that and uh, if you have a comment or a view on this uh, please share with me zero five five one 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 nine nine seven and a few of you have already joined us with your thoughts on this particular matter I'll share it with the rest of the world pretty shortly. Today, the uh, Organised Labour also had given an ultimatum uh, to the Finance Ministry to withdraw its letter to the ECG, asking the ECG to impose a 15% VAT on electricity. Well, uh, that ultimatum has expired and uh, we need to get clarity on what the TUC uh, plans to do next. Joining us is the Deputy Secretary-General of TUC, Joe Ansah, who joins us right now. Mr. Ansah, thanks for your time. Uh, the ultimatum has expired. What's next? Thank you very much, my brother. The ultimatum expires today. And we have not heard
6: anything positive from the government. Because we actually... Over 15% but on electricity bills. Government has not done that. And we are meeting... Again, as organized labor to actually decide the way forward, as we said in our okay,
0: press, uh, release. When is this meeting tomorrow? We are meeting on Friday. Friday, at the show? so. Because we need to plan properly. So, uh,
6: some of us are staying outside our car, some come from the north, and the rest. So, we have to organize very well for everybody to be there. Then we take that collective decision.
0: And the finance ministry issued a statement yesterday. They're appealing to you to exercise restraint as they engage and dialogue. Will that change what you plan, the decision you plan to take on Friday? Because already Nagrad has said for them, they want a strike. Will yesterday's statement from the finance ministry change your, your, your resolve to call an industrial action?
6: A bit it's not going to change anything because we requested for a total withdrawal. If the government now wants to engage us, which he should have done it before, the directives, which he failed to do and want to engage us, our request is that we should first withdraw that directive. If that directive is withdrawn, then we can look at the next uh, line of action. But as it stands now, as so long as the, 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 the directive has not been withdrawn, the organized labor stand by its word that we will advise ourselves. That is why we are meeting on Friday to actually uh, take a, a decision on that.
0: Thank you very much. That's uh, the Deputy Secretary General of the TUC, uh, Joshua Ansander, talking to us about the position adopted by Organized Labor, uh, asking government to withdraw a letter that had been sent to the ECG for the imposition of 15% VAT on electricity. Uh, when they take a the decision on Friday, we'll let you know. You're a live view on Newsnight on Joy 99.7 FM. Now, the Office of the Attorney General has thrown a challenge to the Office of the Special Prosecutor to justify his call for more autonomy. Now, the Special Prosecutor, Kisey earlier this week, proposed the inclusion of his office on the Judicial Council among a raft of suggestions he believes who is strengthening his outfit in his fight against corruption. Now, speaking at the roundtable discussion on corruption organized by the Center for Democratic Development, he suggested that aside from the state expanding the scope of his powers, his office must be entrenched in the Constitution, similar to the Attorney General's office.
7: What can be done to strengthen the OSP? Okay, why don't we start by entrenching it? Why don't we write it into the Constitution? Why don't we enlarge its powers? Why don't we insulate it from political marginalization? Why don't we insulate it from reprisals? Why don't we assure flow of resources to the office? Then also I'm thinking, why can't we include the OSP in the membership of the Judicial Council, for instance? These will let it sit firmly in our estimation.
0: Well, Attorney General is tonight raising fundamental questions about these demands made by the OSP. Listen to the Deputy Attorney General, Alfred chan who spoke on PMS Press last night.
8: Yeah, I've not examined that proposal. I think there's a constitution that we need to look at. If there's a justification for it, why not? But I think it's something that we need to look at. And if it's it's something justifiable, we may want to include the office. But one would be also asked, why are we also not including, for instance... Commission of Human Rights and Freedom Justice. Why OSP? Why not the other state institutions? So these are the questions
0: that we may also want to interrogate and see whether that suggestion is something that we can the, sec- a, along. the second suggestion he makes is that entrench his office in the constitution, so just the way you have the the Attorney General in the office, and so that you you take him completely apart from the from from the uh, your office, your the, the Attorney General's office.
8: Uh, it's something that that can be done. But are Ghanaians ready for it? Are we to go through the the, the, the provision to the, 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 the rigors of a constitutional amendment? And are people ready? Are Ghanaians ready that, that office should be mentioned the constitution? Then why not the other institutions? I think these are some of the we may want to be part of the constitution by constitutional creature. But if you ask me now, I'll say having created the OSP through an act of parliament, if anything at all, there must be a constitutional amendment to take away the power of the attorney general when it comes to corruption cases from that fundamental
0: point and then leave the OSP. As, as a secretary of finite of, of, of parliament, but not the constitution. Okay. Interesting points there. And that's something that we'll be exploring a bit more. Well meanwhile, former MP for Tamale Central, Nusa Fusini, who used to be the ranking on the Constitutional, Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Committee in Parliament, the committee that crafted the OSP Act says the OSP has no grounds to make the request he made yesterday.
7: To what purpose? So okay. that he can influence the judges?
0: Well, it insulates what? him, he says. He says what? It insulates him. Just is it
7: already the judges are insulated. It's insulated already from political interference. He's given financial independence. He doesn't need the attorney general to... Uh, uh, to sign for the release of his monies. Uh, he has operational independence. He doesn't need to, uh, if yet of the uh, attorney general, to initiate an action dealing uh, you know, with investigations of corruption. His mandate. Uh, we don't. We don't think that there is any. I, I, sitting from uh, afar and watching the special prosecutor. Unless, of course, it's not telling us the whole story. Uh, but when we're crafting the the legislation, uh, we were mindful of the fact that you needed to insulate the office, and we took steps uh, to do that in the law.
0: He also says the office must be entrenched in the constitution, similar to what you have with the Attorney General's office. Well, you, you can't entrench down? all institutions in the constitution, can you? Well, but this is a special vehicle designed to yeah, do with corruption. V- One v- of the biggest v- challenges we're facing in this country. Why not? So the special
7: vehicle came about as a result of the inability of the Attorney General and Minister of Justice to prosecute corruption and corruption-related offenses. So we needed an act of parliament to be able to establish an office that will deal with the the canker of corruption. Because we realised that the Article 88 vested pros- uh, I mean, exclusive prosecutorial powers in the Attorney General, and the only way that we were going to establish an office, uh, first one to uh, the Constitution, was to establish an independent uh, or special prosecutors' office and insulate that office. We had to navigate a very, uh, I mean, rough road, tony road, I mean, narrow. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, if you want uh, edge to be able to establish that office, and we took steps to ensure that he didn't come under the uh, the influence, direction, uh, and control of the Attorney General. But, but
0: he still draws his powers from the Attorney General, and you, God forbid, if you have another president who comes in that doesn't believe in the concept of the OSP, and he himself doesn't believe in the war against corruption, decides to withdraw that power, what happens? <laughs>
7: Well, he shares, he doesn't draw his power from the attorney general, he shares some of the attorney general's powers.
0: He doesn't want to share, he wants to have his own constitutional provision that puts him in there.
7: So we say that, well, demonstrate that you can work even in this uh, limited, narrow uh, uh, scope that you have been given.
0: And that there is Inouza Husseini. Uh, he is a former ranking on the Constitutional, Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Committee on the subject of the OSP suggestions yesterday uh, that uh, he be included on in the Judicial Council. And also, his uh, office entrenched in the constitution. Do you agree with him? 0551111997. Still ahead tonight. Two out of 10 married men cheat on their wives, whilst only 8% of wives cheat on their husbands. That's a latest survey from the Ghana Statistical Service. We have reactions as many question The two out of 10 result. I'm
1: sorry
9: what i can say about the statistics is that two is less instead it should be like six seven or eight men and george is joining me uh,
0: with business nine george all day this is uh Brandon, I, I,
1: i'm on
10: one platform and someone asked that it appears 95 percent of men are aligned mm-hmm. but i mean interesting the other bits uh, people having unprotected sex, you know, and it's
0: it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, that too know. has become a, a major issue. Mm. Uh, and and if you also follow the other uh, key findings in this, it raises a bit of a bit of, uh, a bit of uh, you know worry, if yeah, you like, yeah. about another one. About ten percent of men aged fifteen to twenty-four have two or more partners. Yeah,
10: yeah,
0: twenty-five percent had sexual intercourse with persons who are neither their wives. wives. That's another yeah. one. Yeah. 18.7% of divorced, separated, widowed men in Ghana have two or more partners. Yeah. 69.9% have had sexual intercourse with persons who are neither their wives. He yeah. says. 17.5% of married men in Ghana have two or more partners. 184 yeah. have had sexual intercourse with persons who are neither their wives. But mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, and the that
10: also talked about the highly educated persons who have multiple partners mm. interesting
0: details of that after business
10: well Evans uh, coming up IMF highlights improved revenue mobilization and containing expenditure as key for program success and stabilizing the economy and cement sales is lower since 2021 but what is causing this and how can it impact? the economy. The business news on news night is brought to you by MTN business. Welcome to the new world of business, Kingdom Books and Stationery Syntax Tanks and the Pepsident Hebal and Chak you welcome back to Business on Newsnight. Now, take steps to improve revenue and contain expenditure, especially in an election year. Now, that's the warning coming from the IMF on what government must do to aid program success and then enhance economic stability. There is more in this
11: report. These concerns were captured in the IMF staff report that was sent to its board as part of Ghana's program review vestment. The fund and the report once again raise concerns about the country's low tax levels when it comes to the total value of the economy and what some economists will describe as the tax-GDP ratio. The IMF is therefore making a case for government to do more when it comes to instituting measures that will help improve Ghana's revenue situation. The IMF argued that the success of this IMF program will largely depend on significant domestic mobilization and government's ability to control spending. But at a time that there has been a lot of pushback to government efforts to increase taxes to improve revenue, can we say that Ghana's program with the IMF could be at risk? But what about the argument that maybe government must do more to control expenditure, especially in an election year? And that is the Business
10: Dex report. A mobile Money Operators are warning that over 80,000 persons risk being pushed out of business. The telcos school had planned to block all accounts that are not linked with the Ghana card. The telcoms are saying they will block any agents that have not linked their mobile SIM cards and account with the Ghana card that is from tomorrow. The operators say giving them more time will help save a lot of businesses. Dela Bochi is president of the Mobile Money Agent Association of Ghana appeal to the authorities, that is the
1: GRE network provider, that is the, our principles, and then those who matter to uh, hold on so that we will get back to the drawing table to know and understand some of the things very well. This is purely miscommunication because if they should go ahead and uh, block all the things, uh, about 60% of agents will be going out of business from tomorrow going. Because only some few people who when the GIA started the deductions, rushed to the banks for uh, that reconciliation. Only some few, those who go to the bank. But what about those who don't go to the bank? And they are more than those who go to the bank. So it means that those people will be going out of business,
10: from tomorrow going. Dala Bochi is president of the Mobile Money Agents Association of Ghana. Meanwhile, the telco said there will still be an opening for the agents to register from tomorrow. According to the Bank of Ghana, there are about 619 active mobile money agents in Ghana today. Now, Cement sales in the country have hit its lowest since 2021. This was captured in the latest Bank of Ghana's economic and financial data ending January this year. There is more
3: in this report. In 2021, cement sales in Ghana was pegged at over 300,000 but it appears it has dropped to a little over 200,000. There is no official reasons for this drop but industry analysts have linked it to the recently stalled projects in the country. This was as a result of delays by government in reaching a deal with its bilateral creditors on proposed terms for the debt restructuring. Industry sources say the bulk cement purchases often come from the road construction sector. Therefore, any further freeze in these projects will impact badly on the fortunes of cement companies. But with news that road projects could be resuming soon after Ghana secured a deal with its bilateral creditors, cement sales are expected to see a boost going forward
10: and that is a business text report now energy analyst and director of the institute of energy security that is the says the gold for oil program hasn't done much to reduce prices of petroleum products at the pumps. it follows revelation by the bank of ghana governor dr ernest addison that they still decide on terms for participating in the program It's coming on the back of push for ghana to review stands after the country signed up to the imf program Nanamwesi describes the review as timely,
12: as such, when we did check um, the importation against the market, and I'm talking about the importation of fuel, you know, reference to the gold your program to the entire market volume, we could say that the gold your program was contributing roughly 17% of uh, the importation of product that we need in the country. This is not significant in, enough to induce the market uh, and, and the prices. And so we can't say the go for your program has achieved any uh, purpose as to relative to uh, fuel price on the Ghanaian markets. What we know is that over the past eight months, prices of petroleum products on international markets have been dropping. And so if you manage well your own forex, then of course, um, we will have some reprieve or some form of cushioning on the Ghanaian front. So we can't say the go for your program has done much to fuel prices in the country relative to uh, the volume of importation.
10: Director of the Institute of Energy Security, Nana Amwesi. Now, the senior vice president of MTN Group, Ebenezer Chum, is making the case for the academia to push hard for industry support of research papers and work. Mr. Chum argues that the academia may also have to look at how they can collaborate in the area of joint sponsorship. He was speaking at an industry academia interaction a way of collaboration at ISA in Accra today.
4: Why don't we even come together, industry and academia, to put research proposals forward such that the one that may not be the core of industry, I think we back you to submit it. Because if you are going to, say, any of these um, research funding um, institutions and you have the backing of MTM, in terms of providing you the data, in terms of opening the market, in terms of opening the strategy, in terms of opening the operations, the business model, et cetera, et cetera, not just in Ghana, but perhaps even across the continent, depending on the richness of data that you need and experience and exposure that you require. Every serious development funding agency will take a, a proposal with serious consideration.
10: Senior Vice President at MTN Group, Ebenezer Santichum, speaking at an industry-academia interaction put together by the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research, ISE at Legon today. And that's all uh, for Business
0: on uh, Newsnight. Back to you, Evans. And Joel, thank you very much. And to that story now, so the story that's uh, taking social media by storm, there's a lot of talk around this. And uh, let's focus on that 2022 Ghana Demographic and Health Survey, which is generating a lot of talk tonight. Some findings from the survey reveal that two in every ten married Ghanaian men have skipped the marital bed for some extramarital frolicking. Now, according to the survey... 17.5% 17.5% of married men in Ghana have two or more partners who are not their wives. And 18.4% of the married men have had sexual intercourse with persons who are not their wives. Now, meanwhile, about 10% of men and 15 age 15 to 24 have two or more partners. 35.2% have had sexual intercourse with persons who are not their wives. Michael Shalis would be in the studio with more on this. Now, we understand the sample size captured Ghanaians between the ages of 15 and 15 and 49. Let's do a, a thematic breakdown of the findings. Let's start with the sexual status of men and women between the ages of 15 and
9: 24. So Evans, about three out of 10 females in this age bracket confirmed they have had sexual intercourse with men who are not their husbands. Now, about 14% of these young females said that they did not use a condom in their last sexual intercourse. On the other side, about 25% of Ghanaian men in this same age bracket keep more than 2 sexual partners and 3 out of 10 did not wear a condom during their last sex.
0: Now there's also an interesting bit about educated men and the urge to have multiple sexual partners. Tell us more.
9: So Evans, what we know from the data is that 4 out of 10 Ghanaian men educated above secondary school level have 2 or more sexual partners. The inverse is also true for women. How about the cheating squad? (laughs) <laughs> so Evan, so we know that 18.4% of married men cheat, now 4% of married women in Ghana also cheat. Okay. That's what we
0: are told. So, 18.4% for married men and 4%, Just 4% percent, yeah. uh, for men and there's a, there's a whole controversy around this particular subject. We'll share a few of your messages on our WhatsApp and social media pages pretty shortly. But apparently, yeah Papani, urban married women like to use the pull-out method of contraception more than rural married women.
9: Yes, so the the use of a traditional method of contraception in Ghana is higher in urban areas, that's 10% than in rural areas, that's just about 7%. Now, the study found that the use of a condom method of contraception among currently married women is slightly higher in rural areas than in urban areas. Now, among currently married women, the injectables and implants are the most commonly used modern methods followed by the pill, which is about 4%, and female sterilization, 3%. Now, overall, 36% of currently married women are using a method of contraception, contraception, that's 28%, are using a modern method, and just 9% are using the traditional method, Evans. Well, some of you
0: have been reacting to this particular finding about cheating. Listen. A, a, a
9: more modern. Than- a bro like, what i can say uh, about the statistics is that two is less instead it should be like six seven or eight men because most married men have side checks
1: come out like two out of ten cheat which for me is normal because two is just a basic number is even below basic. Um, I know colleagues, okay, some colleagues do it. Some do it for fun. Some, some for like, okay, I have a way to sneak out. So maybe if there's a lady passing by who will give me the opportunity to have fun. Well, some to it's like their hobby. They do it, they feel free to do it. Even if their wife
11: some their wife knows like their husband step out it
13: as for me I will cheat on my woman based on his I mean her character. Oh we met me against a brother because me as be or more
9: it's difficult to come across a faithful married man nowadays.
0: Well, the latest demographic survey on health reviews, males and females between the ages of 50 and 24 are keeping multiple sexual partners that is established now. But even more troubling is that they are also engaging in unprotected sex. Uh, The director in charge of demography at the Ghana Statistical Service, Odey J.B., provides further clarity.
14: We also look at uh, those... uh having uh, multiple partners and the use of condom. Yes, because that will protect you from getting an infection. So that one too, uh, we're supposed to, for the, uh, what is called the women 15 to uh, 24. 24. Yes, it's 23%. 23 don't use condom. No, they use the condom. Okay. When supposed to be It's supposed to be 100%. Right. So we ended up only, uh, what is called, 23. So about about 77%. Did not use the condom but are they are aware of
4: the existence of female condom
14: yes they they, they are aware because the ghana is uh commission and other partners uh the national is Control. this thing they have been what is called um promoting, promoting the, the use, use of, of condom another preventive uh mechanism to help uh reduce infection i'm interested in the outcome of the males in this uh, category yes for the that one they are 34.5 so it's higher than the the, what, the, the the
0: women. And uh, I'm delighted to say that I'm joining the studio right now by Assistant Chief Statistician at the Ghana Statistical Service, Godring Odai JB. Uh, thank you, Godring. Right. Happy to have you in the studio. Yeah, same to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you've seen the uh, reaction to the results you put out. Uh, the, yeah. the first one, the first one that has generated a fair bit of controversy is this one that found that two... Out of every ten Ghanaian married men, cheat. Many say on social media, and this is trending, that this is grossly understating. What would you say to that?
14: Right. uh, I think thanks for the opportunity. And uh, for Ghana Statistical Service in our report, uh, we didn't state that that percentage men who cheat on their wives or something that sort we only put in the statistics to indicate those who are into multiple partnerships either those partners are neither their wives or husband or live together so that is the figure that we came up with
0: okay how first of all i'm curious why did the gss decide to do this particular work
14: the emphasis is on uh protection against uh hiv Mm. So, we ask whether you have a partner or aside this partner, whether you have another person. And this partners that you've indicated to us, whether in the last 12 months, during your last sexual intercourse, whether you use a condom or not. If you use a condom, then it is to protect yourself against this because you are, you are into high-risk sexual intercourse because you don't use the condom or because you have two or more partners. So you have to protect yourself. That is the reason why we ask those questions.
0: Okay. And then you also found that 17.5% of married men in Ghana have two or more partners who are not their wives or they're not also living with. I mean, that, that, that one also is one to that, that's, that has raised a few eyebrows uh, <laughs> as far as your, yourself is concerned. And then 184 of married men have had sexual intercourse with persons who are not their wives. 10% uh, of men aged 15 to 24 have two or more partners. Um, and were people comfortable talking to your, you know, your workers on the ground when you asking these questions?
14: Yes, before we go to the field, uh, we train ourselves. We prepare the field offices on how to ask the question. First of all, you need to seek uh, consent so that the person, the respondent, will have confidence in you. And we have, uh, strategic which we've mapped out to ask those questions. So for example, for us to identify the, uh, the multiple uh, partners which we have in that, we don't just go straight and say that, do you have 20 uh, partners or something? So we build on it. Maybe we have a partner. Then we move forward outside this partner. Do you have another partner? So it's like uh, we prepare the respondents to answer the questions. OK,
0: so what's, what's the population size?
14: of ghana
0: no i mean the, for this for this particular work that you did how many people did you sample yes we
14: we 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 we, we talked to um uh we talked to just a minute
0: and, and this was across the country i believe
14: yes across the country
0: mm. and, and i see many of you have uh views on this particular subject i want to share a few uh, with the rest of the world uh, on this uh, right now i would come to that and i know many of you have anyone is joining me next with uh,
14: yes for with
0: okay. with strong and sassy has strong views on it you can expect a conversation on this definitely yes you're making a point
14: yes for we spoke with uh or well, we interviewed uh, about 15,000 women aged 15 to 49 okay and then that of the men is um 7044 age 15 to 49 years
0: you're a statistician what surprised you the most when you started looking through the results
14: yes uh what surprised me most is um it's like um we not being able to achieve some of the targets for example um for the uh, the dhs resource we had 2.3.0 women uh, who had two or more partners, but then the uh, the Ghana AIDS Commission they have a, a strategic plan for 2021 to 2025. They have a target that uh, at least we should have we should we should, redu- we should have 2.2 women who have two or more partners. But the results indicated that 3%, meaning that we've missed the target. Taking the men too into consideration, the results shows that about nine, about ten percent of the men had two or more partners. Mm-hmm. But then the policy target for 2022 is 7.7. It means that both women and men, the target to reduce the number of uh, uh, men and women having uh, uh, two or more partners, we missed the, the target.
7: So we So missing. that is
14: why us, uh, that is one thing because w- what we are doing here. we're doing it, getting the data for program managers and implementers, policymakers to use that information. So whatever they've they've targeted, and if we miss it, then it's a challenge for us. So meaning that they have to go back to the drawing board and then rework things. Yeah, and uh,
0: a friend of mine passed a comment. He says when the controversy erupted around two out of 10 married men cheat, and they believe it's uh, quite understated, they say maybe the current economic conditions it's impacting on the ability of the men to get more yeah. and maybe that's what reflected in the low numbers.
14: As I said earlier, we didn't even mm-hmm. mention that men cheat.
0: Yeah, of course, I mean, if the person is married, yeah, then they we have just, multiple we partners. We just
14: want to go with our data. Yeah, I know. We don't want people you, 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 said, you said
0: multiple married <laughs> man with multiple partners. That definitely, in fact, even uh, more than two.
14: Yeah, so let's
0: go and use the, the terminology which we... we, we. <laughs> he wants to use the terminology. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Sir. Uh, that's there is the uh, Assistant Chief Statistician at the Ghana Statistical Service, Godring. Odai uh, JB talking to us about this very interesting survey that has been released today by the statistical service and uh, guess who's joining me right now uh hello Bao. yeah even have well. you seen the data yeah I've seen the data
15: uh, seen did the
0: you data. check if uh, any of that uh you know reflects on something that you're very familiar with um, um absolutely not It's all related to me
15: in any way how uh, do you time I know <laughs> <laughs> or in yes, you, what do you well, have in sports? Well, just some fallout from the AFCON budget that the government and the Ghana Football Association uh, prepared. Yeah, that's the budget prepared for these years AFCON and is the National Communications Officer of the NDC Sammy Jeffy, who is now calling for a bipartisan investigation into the budget and related expenditures for the afcon tournament well he argues that a brief analysis of the budgetary allocations of other participating countries in the ongoing tournament reveals that um the government engaged in wasteful and irresponsible spending and especially during these economic uh challenging times and uh, he made this known in a facebook post earlier today stating that the government attempt to equalize the issue is deceptive and emphasised that Ghanaians are demanding accountability uh, he therefore urged the government to urgently initiate a bipartisan probe into the matter well let's just stay on football because ghana has emerged as the seventh country to transfer the most players as contained in the latest fifa global transfer report a total of 630 players from Ghana engaged in transfers during this period, marking a 19.1% increase from 2022. My colleague Daniel Cranton has been studying the numbers and came to you with this report. I'll leave that with you,
13: Evans. A total of 630 Ghanaian players were involved in transfers over the period, representing a 19.1% increase from 2022. The top 10 nationalities in terms of the total number of transfers in 2023 saw Ghana and Nigeria emerge as the only two African countries represented in that bracket. While the two West African countries made the top 10 in terms of the number of transfers, the top 10 spots in terms of spending were still held exclusively by nationalities from South America and Europe. Transfers involved involving Ghanaian players, rigged in $162.9 million, ranking 20th overall with Nigeria ranking higher in 15th place, raking $189.1 million. Kudus Mohamed's high-profile transfer from Ajax to West Ham United for $48 million represented a huge chunk of Ghana's overall figure. Ghana also saw a 36.8% increase on transfers in women's football, ranking 8th overall, with a total of 52 players involved in transfers. And that's it for
0: news night tonight. And as I said, you can look forward to strong and sassy. Nimonimado is here with all thoughts on that. Very interesting. <laughs> very very you interesting. Into yes. Me into, um, survey. Uh,
16: the and
0: and you're, you were making a point.
16: I was. What yeah, point was I making? You
0: were siding with those who say, well, two out of ten. It's I was
16: surprised um, that 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 um you know it two out of ten women would would admit
0: two out of ten well it, in the case in the men that's okay
16: well two yeah of course i mean we all feel like it's a, it's a, it's.
13: you feel <laughs> like
16: it's why, not why why do you a feel, true reflection of their situation <laughs> i mean because if you are sitting with a, a group of boys boys let's say 40 of them like 36 of them gets gale mm. you know so it seems a bit you know but anyway i don't know i don't know I don't know what to make of it. I guess also there's the fact that, you know, they can only gather data based on who actually admits.
0: Yeah. But what do you make of this though? Uh, 4% of married women in Ghana cheat is that too
16: understated it's way way understated the thing is you know and the thing with cheating as well is that i feel like men are um more allowed to publicly admit to cheating it's almost like a, a badge of you know like yeah i'll be guy you know what i mean <laughs> but when a woman does i mean obviously then it, in this society actually everywhere it, it you know then you're a bad person or you're not a good woman so it will definitely be you know less women actually saying that they are um cheating but when you have conversations with like women on the street Charlie, like yeah it it's, happens it's, huh? it's, yeah it's, it's okay
0: so where will you put it for women anecdotally yeah
16: four percent oh i would put it at least about maybe 45 Woo! yeah yeah that's which a is, lot which is about four out of ten or even maybe five out of ten and the men Oh, as for the men, dear, <laughs> like maybe eight. <laughs> <laughs> I think the men may be eight out of ten. Even the Bible says who can find a faithful man, you know? so oh, mm. Yeah.
0: Preach on, sister.
16: I'm really not. So that's w- what's it.
0: What's happening? What's happening on the strong?